everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Here's the Thing, 8-Minute Movies. We're so close to the end now, and I'm very, very excited about this episode. Um, my name is Kieran. And my name is Peter. That's true. How are you doing on this day, Peter? Well, it's uh, not very long uh, since we last did one of these, so I'm doing a about the same as last time um the vodka that i said i might have had a chance to taste by this point i i am not quite there yet actually the probably the first thing that i'm going to do after this podcast and when i say vodka i mean gin of course um, it, it, it was vodka at the start and now it is gin yes it's turned into gin over this process um so the first thing i'm going to do after this recording is strain out all of the botanicals and then give it a go strain out the botanicals sounds like a weed thing mm. uh the botanicals is, is a good name for a band as well it occurs to me uh, that that one's got to be taken right well, i mean maybe uh, almost certainly hang on i'm gonna google the botanicals band this is probably great. band camp this is this is great podcast material yeah yeah, they are. Uh, oh, they they they're a wedding and party band. Okay. Oh shit, that doesn't has... count. Well, <laughs> we could we, we no, we could have them come to our function. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we could have them just like play in the car park outside and look, look out at them mm. throwing peanuts? <laughs> I feel we're being very. If anyone from the botanicals is listening to this, we we formally apologise. And we'll hire you for a function. We probably won't. So yeah, continuing to make gin and watch all of the Simpsons from the beginning. That's what. Oh wow, that's old. Has been. I, I did that a few years ago, mm. back when there were a mere thirty seasons of the Simpsons to get through. Yeah, um, up to a good uh, thirty-four or so now. Yeah. Oh Christ, alive! Uh, it's there are several good episodes. However, they're all front-loaded. <laughs> yeah oh yeah um so part of this experiment is uh well figuring out when in my life i started watching these while they were actually coming out uh and also figuring out when in my life the decline in quality of episodes starts and i think it actually kind of coincides with when i stopped watching it because i basically stopped watching it when i went to university because i you, you couldn't really stream them on the internet back in those days let's, um let's not get into that <laughs> yeah uh and uh, uh i didn't really watch the television while i was in university i just spent a lot of time in my room on the internet um uh, and Let's so, not get into that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I, I never really, I, I kind of stopped watching The Simpsons Dead. So there's a, a point which I'm getting quite close to now in my watch, where, um, uh, where yeah, I, I, I stop remembering the episodes. And right about season nine, which is where I'm up to at the moment, I'm noticing the dip in in quality start. Yeah, it's it's a real weird series to think about because it just 
is ever present, right? I mean, it's been there for so long, like literally almost all of our lives. Like there yeah. are people younger than us who have had the Simpsons on TV forever. Yeah. Um, Christ alive. God, I remember doing the Bartman. Let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, I was not a fan of the Simpsons when, um, it, when it was initially popular. It took me a few years to get into it. And I think main reason for that is because the kind of, for the first few seasons, at least, the kind of well-known face of the Simpsons was Bart Simpson, really, with like do the Bart Man and all of that kind of stuff. That's who you heard. That that's who you heard about if you heard about the Simpsons. Cowabunga, um, dude. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't care about Bart Simpson, so I didn't really watch the Simpsons. And in later seasons, the focus switches more towards Homer Simpson. Eat my shorts. Mm. And uh, I started watching it then. Uh, so yeah, um, it's it's weird to go back and watch all of that again. Yeah, wow. Oh, I I don't think I'll ever do it again. As it gets into the later seasons, it's a lot more like there'll be a passable episode that yeah. makes you sort of just gently smile once or twice. And all they do is to sort of underscore how far it's gone downhill. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, there are videos on YouTube you can watch mm. where people summarize like how the writers have changed over time. And it's it's had like a, an insane writing stuff. I think it's like 30 or 40 people. Like if you yeah. add them all together, that's not too many. We think that it's been running for 30 odd years, but yeah. wow. And it's just, I don't think anyone who was involved at the start is still there. I might be wrong on that. I'm not sure, but um. Yeah, it is a it is a bold commitment to watch through all of them. I salute you, soldier. Um, mm. in, I would say enjoy. However, if you're up to season nine, that time has passed. Yeah, <laughs> I would say endure are... at this point. <laughs> uh, the best has gone, and I may not carry on with this experiment. I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm very keenly aware that there's, even though I watched The Simpsons all of the time in my kind of late teens more simpsons exists that i haven't watched than i have um <laughs> by a lot like i watched up to about I, I think i watched up to about season 12 maybe 13 ish um at, at, on the outside and there are almost three times as many seasons as that yeah wow um <laughs> like i say good luck um I myself, uh, again, as you say, it hasn't really been that long since we recorded the last one of these. Um, so it, since that time, I have put up my Christmas decorations. Mm. When when this episode goes out, it's probably going to be like March, so that'll seem weird. We're recording this in December. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're recording a bit in advance. Yeah, and um, oh, I, I tried a new chili jam from Lidl. How was that? Uh, it, it's a really nice chili jam. It's eighty-nine p a pot. It's jalapeno chili jam. They're not sponsoring us. I'm just saying it's a nice jam from Lidl. You should you should try it. I think later on in the week I'm gonna put some in a sandwich and I'm gonna have like a chicken and chili jam sandwich maybe. Mm. And like maybe like a pita bread, something nice. You know, treat myself. Here's the thing: eight minute movies sponsored by Lidl. <laughs> Every little helps. Is that's not their slogan, is it? No, but it should be. It should be. Yeah, shouldn't it? Mm, yeah. I bet I, they're I annoyed feel... at um, Tesco. Tesco's. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see them getting into like a like a 
massively drawn out legal law with Tesco's over that slogan. <laughs> oh Christ! If they went with every little, uh, every little helps, and Tesco took exception, but they're like, but little's literally our name. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> What's Sainsbury's slogan? Um, I don't know. And I do this, shop at Sainsbury's. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> this seems like an unnecessary digression. No, no, no. I'm go- I've got to Google it now. Um, Sainsbury's slogan. Live well for less. Uh, terrible. I'm never, well, I do not know that one at all. Little well for less. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. Since I've got all these open now, we, we, I'm quizzing you on them. What's Asda's slogan? Uh, I mean, they used to just say, that's Asda price. Right? Not anymore. Not anymore. Well, they must say something else now. It's, um, it's save money, live better. Ah, save what money, that? little better. <laughs> Do I have to send this to Lidl afterwards and see if they'll sponsor us? Is that how sponsorship works? I don't know. If, Look, or, the only if, reason I'm doing this podcast is I want some money. I want a company to come to my house and write me a big check to say that Raid Shadow Legends isn't dog shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> if all of the supermarket slogans imply that you're going to be kind of living better for less money, then you have to ask living better than what and for less money than what? <laughs> than Aldi's. Very expensive. No, um, right. Um, Sally slogan. Shop differently. Okay, so they're not necessarily better or cheaper, <laughs> just different. <laughs> uh, what do we got for M and S? Oh, spend it well. That's pretty sinister, actually. I yeah, that <laughs> that makes it seem like it's more expensive, which is probably true. Um, <laughs> you're gonna be you're gonna be spending a bit of money here. <laughs> but it's um, but it's going to be worth it, is what that slogan says. Also, yeah, a bit sinister. It sounds like spend it well while you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's really an implied end to that sentence. That that's like you know your um tall, thin, bigoted <laughs> man who turns to you and says, spend it well as you enter the store, and then he whispers something as you pass him, you're like, what's that? He's like, nothing, nothing. Your eternal reward. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're going to find one where the slogan is, you'll get what's coming to you. <laughs> yes, my, my new supermarket slogan, don't worry, you'll get whatever's coming to you. Yes. Why did you why did you phrase it like that? It's so scary. Um Waitrose is uh, according to Google is everyone deserves quality food, which is true but doesn't imply that they'll sell it to you. Yeah. <laughs> everyone deserves quality food um provided they can pay for it. But in the meantime, um <laughs> <laughs> Um I I know this is going on a bit. I just want to bring up john lewis's one right because okay. i've never fucking understood john lewis's slogan right okay uh, they, they've had it since 1925 they changed it a couple of years ago because it's fucking baffling right right their slogan was never knowingly undersold um what does that mean 
I, I don't know. I feel like there's a few too many negatives in yeah, there to right. pass it. <laughs> no, what, what does that mean? All right, so hang on. Hang on. So if, right. we take, if we take the never off, right? Okay. Then we swap the under out for well, the opposite of under is over, right? I guess. So it's right. just knowingly oversold. That can't be right. That's <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait. Hang no, on. hang on. Have we done this wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think I, so. I, yeah. I definitely wouldn't go to a store if their slogan was knowingly oversold. <laughs> okay, let, let's uh, let, let's start from the beginning because I think we need to unpack this now, uh, even if it makes the podcast go on longer. <laughs> Monster. Um, Look. Look. <laughs> I, you started this. <laughs> That's true, but no, we've got to get to the bottom of this. Right. Under okay, what do they mean by undersold, first of all? Yeah, again, I don't know. <laughs> okay, let, I'm gonna look this up uh, this this up. I assume that this slogan made perfect sense in nineteen twenty five and everyone was like, ha ha, ha oh, erudition, clap clap. But over time it's just become three meaningless words together. It's like a kill phrase from Deus Ex. Like okay. someone says never, never knowingly undersold at you and you just burst on the street. Okay. So, um, it, it according to what I just looked up, uh, to undersell is to sell something, at a, which I thought is what it meant it is to sell something at a lower price than a competitor. Um, so they are saying that, they don't sell it for less than their competitors, uh, knowingly. So, <laughs> like, so A, you've had to pick that slogan apart with a thesaurus. Yes. And B, it's not even that good a slogan. It's like, we're not no. cheaper than our surrounding stores. Wait. Cool. They're... they're, they're um we are we are as expensive as other shops yes they're being proud of the fact that they're as or more expensive than their competitors <laughs> which is about the snobbiest slogan i've ever heard i think that's probably why they ditched it yeah. a it doesn't make sense and b it's just can't really snooty yeah oh christ alone <laughs> Hang on, I need to find out what the new one is now. Sometimes knowingly undersold. (laughs) Often undersold. (laughs) Oh, uh, uh, their slogan is important because it signifies being fair to society. Okay. But what is it? Um, I don't know. I think that's a clickbait article. Mm. This also is a clickbait article. You know what? I've lost interest in this. Well, whatever it is, it's probably exactly as snooty. If you, if you are John Lewis, how are you still alive? Um, <laughs> like that was an interesting digression, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to say, do American stores have slogans? But they all do, don't they? I mean, Walmart is ASDA, right? They're the same thing. Hey, hang on a second. Sorry, I, I, I are you knowingly oversold? No, I, I, I was just uh, looking up this slogan, and it maybe means the opposite to what I thought it meant. Because even though that doesn't make sense, because it's so confusing. What? Uh, because um, apparently, a couple of years ago, there was some controversy about uh, an investigation showing that they were selling certain products at a higher price than available elsewhere. And um, 
on the website, John Lewis says, our dedicated price monitoring team proactively checks the prices of branded products at our high street competitors every day, including online and during sales. And if we find that they are selling the same individual product sold with the same service conditions at a lower price, we'll meet that price in our shops. And so we don't expect you to find a lower price elsewhere but if you do you can easily make a price match request because i thought that that was a whole thing about um john lewis that they do price matching yeah um, do, but, do you know what I, I didn't want to get into this but but we're we're we're, we're committed now yeah um one time i have used their price matching service mm. right when um we were in a john lewis and we saw a coffee machine that i was gonna buy for my mum right as a christmas present and the same coffee machine was available in store at Argos, right? Fifteen pounds cheaper, right? Yeah. So I I went up to them and I was like, "You do the price matching thing, right? So can I can I have it on this?" And they were like, "No, on the basis that it was the same model but a different color." Ooh. And I was like, well, "That feels like bullshit to me, but fine." Yes. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It, that extremely does. Uh, but yeah. Um... Surely that means never, never knowingly oversold. I, I think, <laughs> John Lewis, if you're listening to us, uh, get back to us with a what your previous slogan meant and b why you wouldn't sell me a coffee machine for slightly cheaper. Like, I even the store. I was like, look, I'm not going to pay fifteen pounds more. I'm just going to walk the hundred meters it is to Argos and buy it there. It's just that I happen to see it in your shop. <laughs> And also, sorry for saying your slogan was snooty. Maybe it's not. I'm still not sure. It's very confusing. Yeah, your slogan is baffling. If you could yeah. write in with perhaps an essay. See, this is why it's not a great slogan, right? I'm going to go on record as saying it's not a great slogan because, like, you cannot work out what it means. It's just three words seemingly picked at random from the dictionary. Yeah, it, it's it's a bad slogan because it's uh, prompted a 10-minute discussion in a podcast about the thing, about what it means. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we've been talking now for 22 minutes. <laughs> and the bulk of that was definitely what the fuck was John Lewis thinking, which honestly is not what I was expecting to go with this podcast immediately after starting it. <laughs> I, I hope by now the listeners have grown to love our magnetic personalities, <laughs> uh, because otherwise the, this podcast is being greatly missold to them. Yeah, it's it's never not knowingly not under not not sold. Yeah. Oh God, I think, I, I think my head hurts. Um, I mean, I edit these at two times speed, and even I'm fed up of listening to us now, so yeah. uh, <laughs> I hope our one listener is still ha- having a good time. Hi, Mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ alive. It's time to introduce the concept. It's long past time to introduce the concept. Peter, it's your turn. No, it's not. It's your turn. I did it last time. I remember it very clearly. Fuck, I thought I could get away with that. I never <laughs> can. All right. I wrote down the words. I... I'm a huge fan of The Thing. I watch it very often, and I pick up lots of little facts about it along the way. Peter has seen it and is not hugely into it. I am hereby using the Ludovico technique from A Clockwork Orange to forcibly reprogram his brain into enjoying it. Additionally, anytime one of us says The Thing, and we aren't talking about the creature, the film, or this game, we get a ding from the bell. In order to give us a permanent aversion from using the phrase in normal conversation. 
sort of is what actually is happening to me. If I, I find if I say the, the thing in conversation and I notice I expect punishment, like yeah. Pavlov's dog, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely, um, I was nearly going to say uh, a thing and then I didn't. <laughs> yeah, if I if I say it now, I sort of flinch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my podcast slash psychological reprogramming initiative. Mm. Oh, bloody hell. Now it's time for us to not talk about the thing in the section that is known as Let's Not Talk About the Thing. This is where I will say some stuff about something tangentially related to the thing, but not directly about the thing, in order to make the podcast slightly longer. I mean, Today's one is going to be like seven hours because we had a massive digression about what supermarket slogans were. But and wait, wait. quite a lot happens in the next set of moments as well. Yeah, so much, so yeah. much. So this this is a big episode. Strap in. So what you got for me this week, Kieran? I thought I would talk to you about Bill Lancaster. Now remind me who this is. Bill Lancaster was the screenwriter for the thing. Right. But he's also an actor. He's the son of Burt Lancaster, who's a very famous actor. Uh, the American Film Institute ranks Burt Lancaster as number 19 of the greatest male stars of classic Hollywood cinema. Lancaster first started appearing in films as a lookalike for his father. Hmm. Uh, he only ended up writing four screenplays, the most famous of which is, of course, The Thing. He also wrote screenplays for the Bad News Bears film. Have you heard of those? Uh, yeah, I have heard of them. I don't really know what they are. Yeah, they're American sports comedy films. I personally haven't seen them. Mm. Uh, interestingly, he was working on a screenplay for Firestarter, a Stephen King novel, which John Carpenter was scheduled to direct after The Thing. But when the movie's costs overran and it didn't perform anywhere near what the studio wanted at the box office, both men were replaced. Unfortunately, he suffered a fatal heart attack in L.A. on January the 4th, 1997 and died at the too young age of 49. That's all I have about Bill Lancaster. So I guess now we move into the section of the podcast where I answer your questions from last time. Interestingly, you didn't have any questions from last time. So, well, I, I feel like I had some that you weren't willing to ask the um, uh, <laughs> British Antarctic Institute. I'm I, I've used my one and only bother a scientist card. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so I guess, wow, with that, all that stuff quickly out of the way, a mere, wow, 30 minutes in, um, we can move on to let's talk about the thing, the section in which we discuss the movie, or rather the eight minutes of movie that we have chosen to watch right now. As before, at the end of the last section, I asked you what happens next, and you said, they do the blood tests and Palmer will be revealed to be a thing. Having seen that now, are you um, are you happy with your little assessment? Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't say that I'm particularly proud of this one. It was pretty obvious what was about to happen. Um, mm. It's a very memorable bit of the film as well, so I am correct. But also, I it would have been weird if I wasn't, honestly. You are correct, but not proud. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, and on our on your infection tracker at the end of the last episode, we had Blair and Palmer are infected. Uh, McCready, Gary, Windows, Knowles, and Charles are not infected. Bennings, Fuchs, Copper, and Clark are dead. And Norris is also dead, but he was a thing. Mm -hmm. 
So now it's time for us to listen to section one hour and 20 minutes to one hour and 28 minutes of The Thing. All right, that's enough stalling. So, as I have always done, so I don't really know why I continue to introduce it, I am going to read out a section of bulleted points which summarize the action in these eight minutes of footage. If you have something you want to say, just chip in. Otherwise, I will keep going forever. And believe me, I can keep going forever. All right, let's go. Noel's finger is cut with the scalpel and bled into the Petri dish. <laughs> now, this makes me wince almost, I would say, more than anything else in the, the film. Yeah, I, I can sort of see that. I I'm, I'm, guess I'm a bit inured to them now because I've seen them so many times. But yeah. um, a lot of people are more affected by these thumb-cutting scenes than anything else in the rest of the film. And yeah. um, Kurt Russell and the director's commentary mentions it's probably because they're much more relatable right everyone has had little cuts on their hands and they know how much they hurt yeah but you know you've never had your arms bitten off by a murderous alien beast citation needed i actually got such a cut on my finger um quite recently uh, not that deep but um <laughs> but like a similar sort of uh, of cut what happened is that i had a tape measure extended uh, oh you should never play with tape measures uh i wasn't playing with it i was literally i was using it to measure something hmm. uh and uh then I, I accidentally let go of it um because the locking mechanism you know some of them have a locking mechanism on them is broken on this tape measure and i accidentally let go of it and the whole thing kind of whipped back into uh, it, it kind of rolled back in very quickly past the tip of my finger um and it hurt it really it really hurt yeah. I, put a on it. I was gonna say and, and yeah. talking about how relatable that sort of injury is as you were saying that i've noticed i've curled all of my fingers and thumb fists to protect yeah. them all right let me let me go with my worst hand injury um i fell over on an ice rink and someone skated into two of my fingers mm. yeah that's a good one isn't it um oh, i'm really lucky i didn't lose a finger like uh because I, yeah. I guess i was i was moving them out of the way but like they bled like anything and um, i don't think it hurt at the time because either i was shocked or i had them on cold ice but um, I, I was very young. <laughs> like I should yeah. uh, point this out. And everyone was much more concerned about it than I was. But um, I got plasters and a lollipop, so I guess I was okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah in this particular section, uh, I think it's just fake blood on the back of the knife that gets smeared on TK Carter's thumb. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's quite convincing, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beforehand, I really did have to take you through it frame by frame in order to see yeah. where, the, where the gag was, the um, the trick. Interestingly, as he does this, uh, Windows gets Knowles' blood on his hand, which doesn't seem like a great technique to me for not being assimilated by the thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of things in this. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, there's a lot of moments in the, in this next set of moments where we might question their methodology, and I've got a comment about that in a minute, actually, that I've written down. Gotta got wear gloves, man. Come on, it's, mm -hmm. it's just basic hygiene. MacReady takes the sample and forces Windows to cut his own thumb into a Petri dish. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all here, before he does it, he cleans the scalpel by scraping it on his jeans. And I'm like, dude, there is a flamethrower right there. Just heat the blade. That'll that'll do it. That's all you need. Yeah. Or just, I mean, I've got to imagine they've got more than one scalpel in yes. this whole base. This, like, really, this really does feel like, um, I, I don't know, at least they're all going to be blood brothers by the end of this, and probably all the thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's my, my thought on this, because it's something that I think we have to, in maybe separately, decide to to make a decision about how this film finally shakes out mm. um, is how much cinematic license do we accept with this sort of thing? Because if we really kind of go zoom in on the film and look at everything that happens in detail um, and analyze it in a lot of detail, then there's a danger of overanalyzing, I guess. Oh yes. Yes. When, uh, when sometimes they're just, doing stuff for like cinematic convenience Mm. and so is it just a cinematic convenience i guess that he wipes the blade clean and then does the next person and we're not supposed to read from that that he's now doing this with a filthy (laughs) (laughs) uh, possibly thing blood infested knife um or do we just take it on a more basic level of he's wipe the knife clean and now it's a new experiment yeah um first of all before i before i answer that i just want to roll back a little bit to where you mentioned that there's the possibility of over analyzing this um mm-hmm. 11 hours into a podcast about a two-hour film yeah. <laughs> i i think we we may have passed that threshold already <laughs> however um i do agree that you can go either way really and uh, again it, it all really depends on how much of the thing is needed to assimilate a human being if you think it can be one cell then yeah. um it's basically game over for them from the start right the second the dog is in the base all the men here are doomed yeah i mean i think so because uh, I, I was thinking about this because if you really um take that to the extreme then there's gonna be thing dog hairs everywhere (laughs) yeah right exactly and yeah um that point is actually addressed in some of the short stories in the short things collection that got published quite recently in that some of the assimilated uh human beings just go around sneezing on other people Mm. because if you go down to the level of one or two cells is enough to convert you that's really all you've got to do is sneeze in a room with some other people and you've got yeah. them. This is oddly topical, isn't it, as well? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Wear a mask, kids, or the thing will get you. <laughs> but I, I am starting to land on the cinematic license side of things mm. where uh, I actually think maybe it's slightly less interesting if you take it uh, that well they're basically doomed from the beginning because of all of these things because yeah. one cell is enough then that to me at least takes some of the tension out of it because kind of no matter what they're doing at this point they're all basically doomed down the line anyway i so i'm more uh i i'm i'm more inclined to say well, yeah, if you really think about it and if you really take everything that the film is telling you and examine it uh, uh, under a microscope, then 
maybe it doesn't totally make sense and they would actually be doomed because of all the dog hair and because of all the moments where they've uh, come into contact with the blood and that that sort of thing then then they would be doomed but i'm gonna allow some cinematic license and just ignore the fact that that is probably a slight plot hole if if you like and and take it more at kind of face value like at surface value yeah i can see your point about um this maybe reducing the tension but i don't think you'd have that if this was your first viewing um you'd sort of have to come to that conclusion towards mm. the end so i think you'd get away with it either way <laughs> personally i switch back and forth between them mm. i i think that yeah it probably isn't enough to just get one cell in you to be that and that's just like a like a gut feeling rather than anything yeah but the, but but that's what i mean like um it, it, if you're not supposed to get the idea on the first or maybe even the second or third viewing that they are basically doomed from the start then to me that's a it, it's not it's not an invalid interpretation of the film but it 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 makes that a kind of suspect interpretation of the film because this is clearly something that the audience as a whole in general is not really intended to cotton on to the, yeah. the film isn't drawing their attention to those details in any way they no, those no, details no, no, only no, emerge right. when you really inspect it closely uh, that that's why i think i tend towards the cinematic license interpretation of these these details yeah no no you're quite right they they are both valid but um mm. I guess at the end of the day, the thing having to get you alone and pump you full of weird jelly is probably more what the film has in mind for being taken over. I mean, yeah. they do draw some attention to it, like Fuchs saying that everyone should eat out of cans and yeah. prepare their own meals. So there's there's something there's something to it, oh, but yeah. it's not not nearly as stressed as uh, don't be locked in a room with a person you think is your friend. <laughs> Yeah. McCready heats a wire with the flamethrower. So we cut between a lot of really interesting tense reaction shots here showing Windows, Palmer and Gary. They've all got different expressions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is uh, something I forgot to write down, uh, actually, that Windows has a kind of un uh, difficult to read expression on his face yeah. during this whole bit. I was, I was making notes of like what their expressions were, but Windows one is kind of opaque i don't know what he's thinking <laughs> i mean to me it looked really nervous i think i i'm trying to think what i thought when i first watched this film and maybe maybe i was thinking that he was looking nervous because he knew that his blood would jump out or whatever <laughs> um because I mean, uh yeah it, it looks like he thinks something is gonna happen <laughs> yeah i wonder what i wonder if the thing even knows what is going to happen to its blood mm. in this situation because yeah. uh, as we've sort of shown then they're, they're not prepared like to fight for each other like to save each other going back again to the hidden role game analogy they're quite happy to give one of them up to keep the other ones going yeah so i'm just wondering if it, if it knows explicitly what's going to happen when that hot wire touches its blood yeah hard to say there's uh, an interesting thing we should mention here um that in an interview with the cinematographer, Dean Cundy, he says there's a subtle hint as to who is actually infected during this scene because he made sure that all the actors have well-lit eyes 
except for Palmer, whose eyes are in shadow throughout the entire scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun thing for this scene, but a lot of people on the internet have taken it to mean that, like, you know, literally everywhere throughout the entire film, uh, if someone doesn't have shiny eyes, they're a thing, which is patently not what come to attending. It's probably not practical to achieve that through the course of a whole film. Why are you holding your hand up like that? Don't ask. Um, (laughs) (laughs) McCready puts the hot wire in the blood, and it hisses. Now, every time this happens... um... The scraping that the wire makes in the, in the dish is extremely unpleasant to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really sensitive to that noise. It goes like uh, the, that. It goes back a long time, but I remember I have a really vivid memory when I was probably about I'm going to say about six years old, um, and I was in my room and I think I was just playing with this seashell or something. Um, and I uh, kind of scraped my fingernail across the top of the seashell, and it made a really unpleasant screeching sound when I did it. And it's so unpleasant that even thinking about the sound that that made makes my gives me a physical reaction. <laughs> um, I'm. I, I had a kind of hot, full body shudder just now, just thinking about that, and and that like so any sound that is a bit like that really sets me off. Um, my my note here for this says um, some people find the squeaking of the wire on the glass unbearable. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's fairly quiet, so I can just about sit through it, but it's still it's it's really nasty to me. McCready decides Windows is okay. And gives him the spare flamethrower. So, um, just a general observation, I guess, um, that through this whole eight minutes, actually, there is no music at all used. Mm. A lot of the time during this part, uh, the only sounds that you're hearing are there's sort of a low wind sound, uh, mm. which I'm not sure where that's supposed to be coming from, actually, that, that you can hear through the whole thing. And a kind of very quiet sound of flamethrower on standby, you know, uh, and just the sounds of the test taking place and nothing else at all, because there's often no dialogue for uh, extended periods during this as well. So it's, a, it's very quiet in an interesting way. You know, that, that's very interesting you mentioned that because I, I didn't pick up on it. I I know they're subtly doing a lot of stuff here to ramp up the tension. Mm-hmm. Um but I never really picked up on the fact that there's no music, but you're absolutely right. It's just dropped off and it's just all those sounds you highlighted, just silence and the occasional hiss of the flamethrower. Mm. Uh, um, it does a very good job of ramping up the tension, I think, here. Yeah, because you're sure there's going to be a sound at some point. Yeah, like yeah. You, you're waiting for a big sound and there, uh, it, it does pay off eventually. Yeah. The wire is reheated and McCready's blood is tested. Childs remains unconvinced. Copper and Clark's blood is tested. Both were human. Child says killing human Clark makes McCready a murderer, but I'm reasonably sure this would count as self-defense. Yeah, I, if someone uh... runs at me with a scalpel <laughs> and I've got a gun and I shoot them, I don't think... I don't know. Yeah, I made the uh, I made that note that I'm not sure he's being unfair then. I think his <laughs> reaction to being rushed because he couldn't have necessarily known that he was holding a scalpel mm. uh, w- uh, it was more of a reflex so it was uh, maybe an extreme reaction but 
he was also being rushed and Clark did have a scalpel, so I think you'd have a pretty good defense against murder there. Yeah, I, th- I think Charles is being unfair. McCready starts to test Palmer's blood. Gary is unconvinced now. Gary says, this doesn't prove a thing, and McCready really rails on him here. I, I think he's absolutely convinced that Gary is a thing. Yeah. I mean, because with his you were the only one who could have got to that blood. Well, it turns out that maybe it was someone else, McCready. (laughs) (laughs) I do. We do get a really interesting cut to Palmer here. The look on his face is what I would say is resigned. I don't think he knows what's going to happen, but he knows something is going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. It's another expression that is quite difficult to read. Mm. As McCready touches the wire to Palmer's blood, it screams and jumps out of the Petri dish. So there's the payoff for your sound. Uh, yeah, so uh, how does that work? Do they inflate something underneath? Is that... Um, yeah, so yeah. you don't notice it because it's set up earlier in the shot, but McCready has a fake hand holding the Petri dish. And oh, he's, right. had it, he's had it for quite a while. They set it up as early as they could in the shot so that Kurt Russell wouldn't be thinking about it when it came time to apply the wire to the blood. Right. And when he does it, yeah, basically something just inflates up the sleeve and pops out of the jar. Nice. Um, and then you get that, which is super, yeah. that's such a great sound effect. I love it. It's just superimposed, um, you know, in post-production. Um, McCready actually gets some of the blood on him here again, which is not great, but we've spoken yeah. length about that. <laughs> in his surprise, McCready drops his flamethrower. The blood scuttles away across the floor. I'm going to guess that they are just filming a tilted section of floor here. Yeah, absolutely. They put it on a table, mounted the um, chair leg, I think it is, that you can see, like, to the table, and then just tilted it to pour the blood away. There's an interesting point here in that, with all the excitement that happens, they don't follow up on this little puddle of blood that escapes. So there's a tiny little the thing which has just escaped. (laughs) A tiny, tiny little thing rat. Um, scuttling around. Palmer starts to vibrate. The men try to get away, but they're tied up next to him. Uh, I mean, really, and I don't think you can blame uh, cinematic license for this. Uh, this reveals how badly thought out this experiment was. <laughs> because what did McCready think was going to happen? if someone was revealed to be bad because of the blood. And oh, they're yeah. up to, with each other. <laughs> flamethrower. Yeah, I, I guess it would have made sense to have a special flamethrowering chair <laughs> you sit them in. Yeah, or at least, like, tie them up separately. Or, um... I mean, they are tied up separately. That's just they're also tied up together. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, completely separately, I guess. <laughs> tie, tie them up so that if one of them is revealed, the others can get away from them. That's true, but also, two things to bear in mind. Uh, McCready hasn't slept for several days. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, high-pressure situation, and he sort of trusts Palmer. Um, he doesn't think Palmer is a thing. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but he does think that um, Gary is. And true. Palmer is tied up right next to Gary. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think no matter how you slice it, this was a poorly thought out, maybe understandably poorly thought out, but (laughs) a poorly 
thought out way of doing it. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's definitely it. It definitely makes sense that they would make this mistake, but yeah. after he is revealed to be a thing, they kind of stick with it for a while. Everyone is still tied up together, which, uh, given that they've seen how it doesn't work, kind of strikes me as a bit weird. But fine, whatever. Sure. McCready's flamethrower won't light. Windows backs away in fear and doesn't shoot. Uh, I mean, I I remembered obviously because I I mixed it up earlier that there was a part of the film where his flamethrower doesn't light, mm. um, but it goes on for so long that it doesn't light. It doesn't light for ages. Yeah, well, it's they had to add this in like a rewrite because they were like, well, why doesn't McCready immediately flamethrower yeah. armor? And it's because he's startled by the blood mm-hmm. jumping out of the jar and he drops the flamethrower, which breaks it, basically. Right. So he's relying on Windows to flamethrow it, but Windows is quite understandably completely lost in absolute horror. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's understandable, but just bad timing, I guess. I think McCready's flamethrower just stays broken, at least for the immediate future. Yeah. Blood pours from Palmer's eyes and face. His head distorts, and tendrils start whipping from his fingertips. Palmer's transformation has always seemed a little choppy to me, because they cut back and forth to him, and, and like three or four different things are happening to him um, until the end, where he's, you know, his, his head is split in half, and he's got those extra tendrils. And it turns out the transformation scene was actually longer and involved another scene in the middle where all that blood that's boiling off his face gives way to reveal a second head underneath his first one. Right. Um, but it was just cut for pacing because, as you say, this flamethrower fight scene goes on for quite some time anyway. So I can yeah. sort of see why they like lost that shot in the middle. He kicks his way loose of the ropes, moving the whole bench in the process, and leaps up onto the ceiling. So this is a slightly weird looking effect. Yeah. Um, so, what's going on here is that's uh, that's Dick Warlock again. He's wearing a mask uh, and mm-hmm. he's falling down onto a frame covered in balsa wood with a mattress underneath. Yeah. Uh, they then invert the footage. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of broken off ceiling tile near his foot that gives the game away because it falls up towards the ceiling, not down. Ooh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. No, I I've never not noticed that. Like. Um, just a little annoying but um what can you do you can only take these sorts of shots once or twice right yeah speaking of dick warlock it isn't actually relevant here but i found out that you know when we see blair outside in the location filming and obviously wilford brimley couldn't make it it's dick warlock both times made up ah Um, right okay dick warlock has the most number of appearances in the film where for a someone who isn't actually part of the cast right (laughs) Because, of course, he plays the shadow on the wall. He plays um, unspeaking Norwegian number six in the, <laughs> in the um, footage they find at the start. Yeah. And as we've said before, what a name. What a name. Uh, yeah. You, I've, you I've can't even... beat a name that makes you sound like some sort of penis sorcerer. <laughs> oh, dear. Um Richard, call me Dick Warlock. Uh, (laughs) Originally here, um, they actually wanted the monster to run straight up the wall onto the ceiling and jump down in front of windows. Um, Mm. This would have involved something called a camera centrifuge, which is a large rotating drum that you build the set inside, where the camera platform remains static and the whole set rotates. 
this effect can be seen in films like 2001 and The Fly. Yeah. Universal did own one, but they couldn't get to use it because of the prohibitive cost. Um, it yeah. takes about 20 people to just operate it, and it actually incurs hazard pay for the crew. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say it's disappointing that they didn't get the chance to do it, but it, it sounds like it would have been a great effect, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Windows runs into Burn It. Palmer thing jumps down. His head splits open, and a tentacle grabs Window's heads. So this is uh, another Rob Bettine puppet here, um, wiggling around, opening up. Yeah, all of this, I I think, is very good effects. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you say that. Window's head is bitten, and he's lifted up off of the ground by the force of it. So this is the effect that holds up the least well for me in the entire oh, really? film. Yeah, because it's clear, especially when they aren't directly showing the attack, like they're off in the background flailing around, mm-hmm. that it's just a man in a suit with like a soft cloth dummy in front of him. Mm. that he's just flailing around because it, it, it moves in, a sort, in that sort of boneless way that people don't. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess now that you mention it, but... I, I, it's not really what my attention is being no, drawn to in the no, film. Because it's, uh, it's always in the background that's happening. I think it might just be where I've seen this so many times. Yeah, because it's it's so chaotic and there's just a lot of flailing going on that I'm not really thinking about what's what. It's like the I'm just thinking there's a lot of chaos happening. So for me, that that reads more okay than when your your attention is very directly drawn towards, say, a couple of wrists being chomped off or something. <laughs> Yeah, if you look at it closely, you can see that it's um, that sequence is like four or five little shots that are all cut together. And in some of them, it's obviously the actor just out of shot with his legs up. Um, right. <laughs> so they're off the floor. And sometimes it's just sort of like a jumpsuit that's been stuffed with towels that's being wailed around. Mm-hmm. But you are right. It, it, I don't think it would necessarily read badly on the first viewing. But I think once you've seen it a few times, I guess anything is made worse by repetition right so i've seen it <laughs> i've seen it enough times to realize that yeah, it's just an effect but i mean it doesn't break the scene for me or anything it's it's still entertaining i just think it's the one which necessarily doesn't hold up the best these days windows is discarded and smashes onto a shelf unconscious or dead mccready lights palmer on fire with the flamethrower so this alternates between being a prop which can articulate on fire and a man in a fireproof suit, which doesn't. So if you watch this scene carefully, when it's walking towards Kurt Russell, he steps in the way of it as it moves past on fire so that you can't see the different head appliance up close. Right. Because obviously there isn't a split in the one which is moving around because it's a real person's head. Yeah. The creature bursts through the wall and collapses into the snow. So the man in the suit here was stuntman Tony Cicere. He had to hold his breath all the time he's on fire because otherwise his lungs would be seared. Ooh. So, I mean, he's a professional, like, like he specialized in this sort of stunt. Yeah. Um, but he has to be able to hold his breath for up to 90 seconds. Wow. Which is quite a long time, but I guess if the alternative is lung damage, you could probably do it. I don't know. Yeah. I used to, um, like as a, a child do things like in the back of a car, try and hold my breath 
while we were going through a particularly long tunnel or something like that, you know. <laughs> uh, and and when you're doing nothing, it's possible to hold your breath for quite a long time. Yeah. But when you're flailing around and on fire, I imagine that's much harder. <laughs> So obviously there are a couple of different shots of him being on fire inside the set, outside in the snow, and they try to run them as quickly as possible so they can put him out and he can breathe. Basically, just out of shot, there are a lot of people with fire extinguishers ready to put him out and get him out of the mask so he can breathe. McCready throws a stick of dynamite and blows the monster up. See, I was going to say, where does he get that dynamite from? But we know he had dynamite. He's, He's got loads of dynamite. Yeah. So uh, this is an amazing story about the thing. It's genuinely one of my favorites. So he's he's throwing an actual stick of dynamite or, you know, some sort of explosive in stick form. It may not literally be dynamite, but it's an, you know, it's an yeah. explosive. And neither Kurt Russell nor the crew expected the blast to be as powerful as it turned out to be. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So... When you watch him, he's in the bottom right-hand corner. He he gives it a good old throw, uh, and he is blown off his feet by the explosion. Oh. Like he's literally sort of shot back against the wall. And um, there's an amazing transcript of the dialogue that got recorded after this, and it's available on the Outpost 31 fan site. Right. Um, and it basically boils down to Kurt Russell laughing and saying, fuck, for a few minutes. <laughs> He says he felt things go through him. <laughs> um, yeah, he he hasn't had much luck with special effects, Kurt Russell, um, especially on John Carpenter movies. In Big Trouble in Little China, um, he was temporarily blinded when a flash pot went off in his face. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess being a leading man has its advantages, but also its disadvantages. Who knows? Just a general note here, now that we know that Palmer is a thing, it's really interesting he didn't assimilate Childs while they were alone together, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it is. Remember his, uh, his whole speech about how he, uh, he doesn't want to be alone with Windows, he wants to be alone with Childs. Yeah, yeah. another thing that I'm going to take on face value is that the, the blood experiment works 100% of the time. I'm reasonably sure it does, because uh, if it didn't, why Why wouldn't it just be like, oh, we get through the whole thing? You know, <laughs> none of us yeah. are the thing. We're all humans, fellows. I, I'm not going to say uh, maybe some things are just better at blood stealth. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Back inside, Windows is starting to transform. The men scream for McCready to burn it. So um, there are two puppeteers on the other side of the wall operating Windows bodies, arms and legs with rods. And um, they weren't actually that that keen on the whole being on fire thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I thought that that looked like the legs were on some sort of mechanism. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. the arms and legs wiggle are being wiggled from as far away as they could conceivably get. Noel's blood is tested, and he's okay. He's freed to help up with the tests. So now. As the audience, we've had this huge emotional build-up through this whole scene. So there's the tension of setting up the blood tests, not knowing if they're working because the first ones are all negative, and the huge payoff of Palmer bursting and being killed, which releases all that tension. So now there's a huge sense of relief, and the men know that they can safely test for the thing. So the next few scenes are really fast cuts between 
someone testing, someone being freed, someone testing, someone being freed. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that they just need, uh, after the incident, they needed to get very quickly out the way the fact that the other tests were done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it is very interesting um, in the original short story that during this sequence, they find 14 things. Um, <laughs> and that obviously wouldn't make good film right i mean because a that that's like a platoon of people <laughs> B, yes once you've seen it once you know the magic is kind of gone i guess right child's blood is tested and he's okay he is very keen to be freed i find it curious here that child says let's do it and then looks really relieved afterwards is he not sure if he's human or a thing <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a similar thing to the look on uh, Windows' face at the beginning, mm. where you're not quite sure how to read it. Um, I guess everyone's worried if they're... <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where you know something is going to be all right, but you just kind of have an ir- irrational worry that it's not going to go your way? <laughs> Uh, mate, I've, I've, I've got generalized anxiety disorder. That's yeah. my entire life from morning to night. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's just that the, there's a worry that oh, oh, I know I'm human, but somehow this is going. There's going to be a fuck up, and <laughs> yeah. like the wrong blood got into my petri dish or something, and I'm going to be wrongly accused or something like. I think it's that kind of anxiety. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if they, you know, they set all the blood down on the, on the counter and like it just quickly spreads out <laughs> to all the ones, so they all test positive, and you're like, oh, oh, fuck, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, I suppose the, there's a kind of um, alternate interpretation of this scene, which I don't think is true, but is funny to think about, where the blood <laughs> is just kind of doing this elaborate shell game um, between the, 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 the petri dishes. It's just reaching out and swapping the labels around. <laughs> yeah. We cut to Gary, sadly tied to a chair, with three men aiming flamethrowers at him. This is quite a funny shot, and it always gets a laugh in the cinema now. I think it's just all the release tension at this point. Yeah. You know, we had the huge build-up, the release, and now there's a little, a lesser build-up. I mean, if Gary is a thing and he transforms, there's not much he can do, right? He's He's being covered on two sides by people with flamethrowers. Yeah. Gary's blood is tested and he's okay. He is also quite keen to be untied. His his he gets an excellent line here. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. And, yeah, it's probably my favorite line in the in the film actually, if and I think about it. It is a great line and it really does sort of end this whole section by releasing any tension that's still left over. So we're all we're all happy now. This is a great point in the film for our characters because they know they can test people for thingism, and they've killed the only thing left amongst them. Everyone yeah. else can be trusted now. Like, um, really, it's just broken the paranoia. And I think underscoring it with a joke, with a comedy line, is excellent writing. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I think that basically clears everyone now except for blair except for blair Mm. we fade to black ending the blood test scene Mm. we fade back in on a corridor shot childs is on watch looking out of the window so i mentioned this to you while we were watching this before the recording but it's important you remember that shot because it'll come up again later in the next episode 
Yeah, I can't think what you could mean by that. Mm. Um, but um, maybe maybe when we come to watch it, I'll show you both like one after the other, just so you've got them both fresh in your mind. Right. Just that little section. Okay. Um, I mean, I do wonder how much time has has supposed to have passed between mm. what we just saw and and this bit. Uh, and also, I'm a little bit surprised to see Childs just hanging out on his own. I mean, they know everyone's safe now, don't they? I guess they do know everyone's safe, but if they're worried that something could sneak on mm. to the into the base somehow, I I would still be inclined to want to keep people together. Mm. But yeah, as far as I can tell, it's unlikely that any new infections have happened in the intervening time. Yeah. Plus, I would say it's clear from this point onwards who is a thing and who isn't a thing. Yeah. The only thing that they've lost track of, ironically, is um, no. Oh that, no! That, you mean the only I mean, the thing? The only right. thing? They, the only thing they've lost track of at the moment is that little tiny pool of blood. I'd I'd love to read a short story about what it does. <laughs> Goes on a little adventure to maybe a completely different Antarctic base. It's just an eyeball on a stick scuttling its way through the, through the Antarctic night. Actually, that's how they make a sequel to this, isn't there? They're like the adventures of Little Pool of Blood <laughs> in another base. You know, if you want to make a children's cartoon based off the thing, and let me stop you there, why would you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm surprised it didn't get one because they, they started making a cartoon based on aliens in the 80s. Yeah. Did you know about that? Uh, I, I feel feel like I have vaguely heard about that. Yeah, yeah. It's called Operation Aliens and featured the Colonial Marines going in and fighting aliens and stuff. Very weird attempt to monetize something in that way because it, you know, it's like an R-rated movie. Yeah, it shouldn't have seen it. <laughs> but interestingly enough, it did get like a toy line and like a line of stationery and stuff which i ended up with as an 80s child so wow <laughs> yeah i've got like an operation aliens pencil case somewhere in the attic <laughs> <laughs> probably worth like a grand now <laughs> mccready arrives and tells charles that they're going out to test blair and if he comes back without them burn him uh seems pretty straightforward i wonder why they leave childs alone but mm, i don't know uh, they they do seem to have relaxed the everyone stick together rules as we were saying earlier. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess there's a, a possibility that a thing could get back yeah. into the base and deal with a child at this point. Mm. So that that is a risk. Gary McCready and Noel stagger out into the ice and snow to the tool shed. The door of the tool shed is open. The men enter. So Blair isn't here anymore. Mm. One thing I did notice is that McCready is carrying a huge bundle of dynamite. Um, yeah. Why? <laughs> In case he needs to blow up another thing, I guess. Well, yeah, but he used an, a single stick last time. This is like nine tied together. <laughs> Just being very cautious. Yeah, I guess maybe at this point it's like a security blanket for him, right? I wouldn't want to go anywhere without my special dynamite. Yeah. Oh, it has served him well so far, hasn't it? It got him out of um, summary execution at the hands of the men and also got rid of Palmer thing for him. Yeah. 
But as we were saying, um, Blair has disappeared. I wonder what immediately goes through their heads, whether they think that he's a thing or whether he's just been removed. Yeah, hard to hard to say. Mm. You know I, where I stand on it, anyway. Yeah, I, I think I know where I stand as well. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the men discover and lift some loose floorboards. And that brings us to the end of this section of the movie. Um, so, I, something that doesn't quite make sense to me is that they discover the door open, mm-hmm. but then they discover that the well, Blair has possibly escaped through the floorboards. Mm. So, if the door was open, why did he have to escape through the floorboards? Ah, um. Well, I think it's going to come up next episode, but um, just to give you a little sneak peek, Blair is building something in a cave he's hollowed out under the ice. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have given you your little uh, thing. I thought you this was going. I'm going to... St- uh, I, I, I remember that there's some underground business, but I don't remember Blair building something. Yeah, I think I've, I think I gave I give the game away there too much shit. I thought you knew that. I thought you knew that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah, I I'm a bit hazy on what happens next actually. Uh, well, well now you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let let's let's skip that bit then. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit, I didn't really think about cuz I I thought you knew, damn. Anyway, to make this whole scene easier, the tool shed was built in Universal Studios' backlot, and um, it's actually on stilts. So it's it's they come in on the first story and they go down into the lower depths of it. Right. Oh, I can't believe I gave you a hint. Damn it. Well, anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. I'm going to ask you, stupidly, what happens next. <laughs> So I, I reckon they go use... down into that hole mm. uh, and discover that something is being built down there. <laughs> Fuck you! If you if you didn't if I hadn't told you that, what would you have said? Uh, I would say that they go down into the hole and uh, split up and start exploring it. Right. Okay. I'm going to put you down as discover something down in the hole because that's sort of. Yeah, that that's sort of right. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the exact sequence of events here, but I mm. think that um I, I, I do think that Gary is going to be killed very, very soon. <laughs> Poor Gary, he makes it so far through the film. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, should we uh, should we keep updating the infection tracker? Like I say, I think it's clear from here on in. Well well, we started, so we'll finish, I guess. So yeah. I guess who's infected you're gonna say Blair. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, Blair and some remaining Palmer blood. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just leave it as Blair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> until we pitch our um, cartoon to Universal about what happens to the pool of blood. <laughs> yeah. Who's not infected? We've got McCready, Gary, Windows, Knowles, and Childs. Who's dead? Still Bennings, Fuchs, Copper, and Clark. I think we have to move Windows and Palmer into that list, don't we? Uh, yes. Well, Windows is dead from being um, flamethrowered, and Palmer is dead from being a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting list we've got there. 
I guess it just remains for me to ask you what you're thinking of the movie so far. I say, I hope you enjoyed this bit because it is genuinely one of my favorite bits of the movie. Yeah, um, I have always enjoyed this part of the film. Uh, I think it uh, does tension very well. Um, I think the choice of no music um, during this section helps in a way that I can't articulate very well, but I I really think it does. Um, I think that this is also the turning point in the film because as you say like all of the uh, or almost i would say all of the mystery is resolved at this point mm. i think the audience at this point is supposed to be at least suspicious of blair if nothing else so i i think they are supposed to be less suspicious of everyone else now because of the test that was just done so now we are into okay how is it all going to end yeah we're really just wrapping stuff up at this point yeah and that's good that's good we've had you know our act one and our act two and this is really i guess the end of act three yeah i just want to add a little personal note to something you said there and uh it's if you watch the thing with your significant other with your partner mm-hmm. and they're looking at their phone during the blood test scene you know, sometimes you, you watch a movie with someone that you, and yeah. you're really keen on showing it to them and they, they, they like looking on their phone. Um, just leave them. Just leave them. They're a terrible human being. And um, <laughs> they're irredeemable at that point. Wow. Yeah, uh, you're, you're saying that that is sort of the blood test for a, a relationship is putting this in film in front of them and seeing if they pay attention during this moment. Yeah, I, I mean I mean I don't want to generalize, but <laughs> but if they are doing it then um you've got to think about why are they alive? You know what I mean? Um <laughs> I don't want to seem biased or anything, but <laughs> well, um, uh I I respect your your strong views on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh but yeah, it's 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 hard not to be interested at this point in the film. Mm. Like, like certain, uh, I, I, the bits that I remember least in in films when I think about it, and in books actually, uh, are action sequences. To be honest, um, because it's where like a lot of stuff is going on, and I don't necessarily remember the exact order. That things happen, which is why the next several minutes where there is some action are a bit of a blur to me in my head because I don't remember exactly what happens in what order and certain other parts in this film where there's been a lot of activity and action and people running about and stuff exploding and being set on fire and whatnot where I don't remember exactly what happens in what order because it's it, it's quite chaotic. But moments like this to me are extremely memorable. I think this and the defibrillator scene are literally the two iconic moments from this film, right? I mean, the thing has a few more appearances left to make. It's not out of the film at this point, but these two are the ones which will absolutely stay with you. Mm -hmm. Maybe the dogs as well. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. The dogs, the dogs are also very impressive, but I just think these, these two are just the punchiest. I mean, I can't, I can't really say, um, we watched a movie called The Thing, and the most memorable scenes are all the scenes with The Thing in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, f- that feels a little bit like a cop-out to me. I don't know. But 
Person, I don't want to like. I was going to say go down on. That's the wrong phrase. Certainly, um, <laughs> I don't want to go down on the thing. That's a different. You, you sort of do, don't you? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't want to knock any of the work that went into any of those scenes because, in researching this, I found out how much effort they put into absolutely every part of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two scenes just really come out for me on top yeah it's a that they're they're very good um i i especially like this last part that we've just watched yeah as i've said it's definitely my favorite bit of the film um which i guess brings us to the end of the podcast a mere six to seven hours after we started talking about supermarkets um and chili jam did i ever say what the chili jam was good i can't remember it was good it was very nice chili jam yeah, you said it was good yeah sponsor us little or, or aldi i can't remember where i bought it now <laughs> uh, i think that one was little i think it was little um so I guess all that remains, thank God, all that remains is for uh, us to say where we can be found on the internet. I can be found on the dark web. Uh, where can you actually be found, Kieran? I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know what the dark web is. It just sounded cool. Um, mm. I can be found on, on Twitter. My username on Twitter is Kieran J. Walsh. That's where you can find me on Twitter. On Twitter twitter is twitter the dark web i don't think so and i can be found on twitter and various other things with the username kestrel pie kestrel like the bird and pie like the irrational number yeah all right well thank you for joining me for this particularly succulent episode peter i don't think i'm meant to use that word but i have and i'm committed to it now succulent succulent Eight-minute movies, never knowingly under-discussed. Oh, Christ. (laughs) No, please, please don't. (laughs) Oh, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.